And let's pray. We've prayed that your Holy Spirit, Father, will come and have his way among us. And so we pray that as we uh, unpack your word this morning, may you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, over the years that I've been at St. John's, you've probably noticed that in the Advent season, I almost always preach on the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and the rest, doing things like uh, we were talking about with the kids this morning, and looking forward to God turning the world upside down. And I'll interpret that a bit liberally, move, move, carry that on to just about... John the Baptist, of course, appears in the New Testament, but basically he's in that, uh, that uh, mould of being a forerunner of Jesus. And more about him next week. Now, the prophets looked ahead to what God was doing. God doing a new thing, turning the world upside down, as we've talked about in Jesus. But today, I actually don't want to preach from the Old Testament I'm going to do something different. I'm going to preach on our New Testament reading, which is set for today for a reason. Uh, it's from Romans 15, reflects back on Jesus fulfilling all that Old Testament prophecy. Uh, in verse 8, it describes Jesus as confirming the promises made in the Old Testament. So I would encourage you to uh, grab a Bible and turn to page 1317, Romans chapter 15. We're starting at verse 4 today. I want to start, uh, actually I'll read this verse just to start. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So should we have our next picture? All that stuff that was written in the past was written to teach. In the Old Testament, uh, you, you see the columns there. And they were woven together lengthwise to make one long, one long scroll. In the New Testament, then they started a new way to make books, which was to, you can, if you look carefully, you can see the pages being sewn together there. And that makes a, the beginnings of a book as we know. They called it a codex, uh, putting things together, uh, going horizontally rather than just down, down the column. Anyway, Paul writes that what was written teaches us something. Of course, what was written is partly long ago, what we call the Old Testament, and partly it was what was uh, more recent. Actually, uh, what became known as the New Testament is like this. Notice that we're in chapter 15 of Romans. Uh, Romans only got 16 chapters, so Paul is coming towards the end of his, his letter. Everything he's written before is written there for a reason. All the important stuff in those, uh, those 14 chapters is already written. He's, he's been reflecting as he goes along on why Jesus is the answer. This passage is in the lectionary uh, for today because it shows Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. If you look at it, there are loads of quotes there on the right-hand column, top of the, top of the column. It's all quotes, actually, about... Uh, uh, what Isaiah says and so on and uh, we're going to look today at five things in particular that uh, we can learn 
from what is written. The first thing is this. Encouragement. You might have to look carefully. There's a reason why the pictures are all a bit dark today. Um, Paul mentions this twice in verses 4 and 5. He's saying that we can be encouraged by what's in the Old Testament, encouraged by things like, oh, I don't know, the escape from Egypt that's in Exodus, or uh, the settlement, the arrival in Canaan that's in Joshua and other places. And they're not just interesting bits of history. They're true right now. God was with them then, and he's with us now. One of the things we often talk about is Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous, for the Lord will be with you wherever you go. And more than that, Paul's reflecting on the amazing promises of Isaiah and the others, looking forward to how God would turn the world upside down. By the time Paul is writing this, uh, then those things are becoming a reality. And there's a definite reason to be encouraged in Christ. The clues are in, I suppose, I often say that the clues are actually in Jesus' name. Jesus means God saves. His nickname, Emmanuel, means God with us. Both those things are true right now. Wherever we are, those things are true. And those are serious reasons to be encouraged. Look at this picture. The word encouragement is in the middle there. It's quite dark. There's a lot of darkness around. Actually, there's a lot of confused messages around. If you look at the word encouragement, it's in the middle of all, a pile of all the other letters from, the, from a game of Scrabble. There's a lot of, uh, in, in that picture and in life, there's a lot of conflicting messages around. But in the middle of all of that, we can be encouraged in Jesus. So that's the first thing. Second one is this. Again, background is completely dark. Uh, it's dark because the world has a lot of darkness in it. But the thing that's light and bright in the middle of all of that is hope. We can have hope. Isaiah talked about how the people walking in darkness had seen a great light. John wrote about uh, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, in the cathedral recently, we were there for uh, Rich and Rich's confirmation. And uh, uh, it was great because uh, this time of year, it's dark outside when the service starts and they put all the lights off. Every light in the place goes off uh, at the beginning of the confirmation service. And, we talk, and then they talk about the light coming into that dark place. And you can just see a single solitary candle. That's all you can see in the middle of that. And then the lights gradually go up. It's great. The coming of Jesus to earth, Advent, coming to, that's all it means in Latin. Uh, uh, as Jesus comes, then we, with that jumble of the, what would be the competing messages in the previous picture, or the darkness in this picture, Jesus brings hope in the middle of that darkness. Hope in whatever darkness you're in the middle of right now. 
third thing I want to bring out from the passage is this. Again, it's something light in the middle from uh, a dark surround. It's, we have glorifying God. There's plenty in this passage. Look at verse 6 or verse 9. Uh, other places, actually, because he talks, but that's a couple of places where it talks specifically about glorifying God. But then there are four places where it talks about praising God, and then there's another one where it talks about rejoicing and so on. We do it sometimes with our mouth give glory to god praise him rejoice and so on we've been doing that in the service this morning but there are umpteen other ways that we can glorify god it says the small word on the right hand side says in all things we can glorify god in all things verses five and six say um, that with one heart and one mouth uh, we glorify God, and there's unity here. It's not just unity for its own sake. It's uh, unity uh, for a reason, for a purpose, unity with a purpose. It's not just there because it's nice to be together. Um, I guess I, sometimes when we think about Christian unity, we think about John 17, Jesus praying that uh, his disciples be one as uh, he's with them and is one, and he and the Father are one. Uh, but the reason, Jesus says, is so that the world will know that God loves them and God has sent Jesus. I'm not on commission this morning, uh, but one of, the, one, of the, one of the other things that John does on the side uh, is, is chair churches together in Paul. And uh, that's what we want to do. We want to be together for a reason. The purpose is to share uh, the good news of Jesus. The fourth thing that uh, I want us to draw out from this this morning is, uh, is that one again. It's a little word in the middle, uh, some big pebbles, which are coming out of a background, which is just a lot of small ones. And it's not all that easy to read, and it's not meant to be all that easy to read, actually. Peace, not just peace lack of conflict, but peace with God. The reason that Christians can end their lives with confidence is that their bodies might be falling apart. But real peace is deeper than that. Real peace is possible because of a relationship with God. Well, actually, I'll read just, I referred earlier on to Slight, a bit slightly earlier in Romans. This is the beginning of Romans chapter 5. Paul had written, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So faith brings peace with God and it enables us to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I hope this is ringing bells actually from some of those earlier pictures we had this morning. Um, in that book of Romans, Paul is tying all these things together. Romans is the place where more than anywhere else he uh, writes a sort of almost systematic understanding of what it is that Christians believe. In our passage today, towards the end of Romans, 
in back in Romans 15, he describes Jesus again, remember, as confirming all that the prophets had written about. Jesus wraps all this together. What's the last thing I want to bring out? It's this. Um, Paul teaches in Romans 15 that endurance, endurance is one consequence of Jesus, fulfilling all that Old Testament prophecy. Jesus makes it possible for us to keep going when the going is hard. Now the picture uh, on the screen shows a sport that's definitely hard work. Uh, the sport is fell running. Uh, long ago, very long ago, increasingly long ago, um, I did a marathon once, but it was on the flat, very flat streets of London. And by nature it's flattish because it's by a river and so on. Um, but that's completely different from this. Uh, runners, like the woman on the screen, run up and down the mountains of the Lake District. Uh, when I've been uh, wobbling slowly up, slowly up a hill sometimes with my stick, um, then I'm, I sometimes get overtaken by somebody who's coming from... going a, a, a great rate of knots, and it's awesome, really, um, just uh, seeing how people go up and down, stay vaguely under control as they do so. I admire that as well, but that's because I don't always. Um, they know that endurance is keeping going when the going is hard. When every muscle in your body is crying, stop! Every muscle says, I've had enough. But keeping going, that mental strength to keep doing that. Paul says that knowing Jesus results in endurance. Jesus went to the cross. He's a finisher and he enables his followers to be finishers too. He gives us an incentive to keep going. Endurance is part of being like him. So that's five things from the passage. Where does that leave us? I want to end with this one. Remember that Paul writes these things to the Christians in Rome. Rome was a tough place to be a Christian. Saying Jesus is Lord uh, implied that uh, Jesus is Lord and always has in brackets and Caesar isn't. At the end, that was guaranteed to get you in trouble. Christians often ended up uh, being torn apart and eaten by lions in the Colosseum or um, covered in tar and satellite. We have, when we have a Roman candle at bonfire night, that's, all, that's what a Roman candle was, a person being coated in tar and set alight. That was a Roman candle. So choose your fireworks carefully when you do. But against that dark background, again, there's a slightly, slightly dark and slightly confusing background in this picture. But against this dark background, Paul wrote verse 13. I'll read it now. I'll end our service with it as well later on. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we approach Christmas, many of us are doing it 
with worries and troubles. Maybe they're financial troubles. Maybe you're wondering how you're going to afford it. Maybe you've got relationship trouble. Maybe Christmas can be a stressful time. So that, but, um, uh, I, unscripted, but solicitors, one of whom is sitting in the front row here, uh, will, will know that there's quite often a boom in people filing for divorce just after Christmas. Yeah, yeah John's nodding. Um, it does happen, and it's a stressful time, already strained relationships. You've had a lot of time and a bit of alcohol together. There's a recipe for strain. Sometimes Christmas is a sad time uh, because of bereavement. And people are aware as they gather that uh, somebody's not around the table who has been around the table in previous years. Or sometimes Christmas can be a lonely time. Uh, thinking of some of, a lot of the people that the town pastors encounter. Actually, it's pretty marginalized, pretty lonely time. Uh, and some of them were welcome, welcome here on Christmas Day for lunch. If you look at our TV, both adverts and programs, they peddle a little bit of a myth. They, they, pictures of the perfect family sitting down and all smiling and enjoying perfect food and all that kind of thing, as if Christmas should be like that. Well, it's not. That's not the reality. It's nice if you have nice food and all the rest of it, but actually, that we most of us know, the world isn't quite like that. Whatever your situation is, and Christmas is about God stepping into the middle of it. Remember Jesus was born among animals, with mass, with smell, all the rest. Whatever your deepest need is, that's what Jesus steps in to meet. Your spiritual need. In that place of need, he brings hope and joy and peace. So with that in mind, shall we pray? Lord, thank you that you step into these uh, dark places. All our pictures today have had dark backgrounds. And um, we have been aware that you come offering something different into that dark place. Thank you that you do. But we're sorry when we uh, just kind of make the dark even smellier, even messier by, by things that are wrong in our lives. We pray, please, as we head towards Christmas, we will uh, be reminded uh, of the reason for it. You coming to save. You coming to be with us. Thank you that you are. We pray, please, as we head towards Christmas, we will know you coming among us. In Jesus' name. Amen.